for you. Listen to this. So the author's name is Ted Tripp. About this passage, this is what he says. Notice that obedience is a response to God. Children must learn that they have been made for God. They have a duty to Him. He has the right to rule them. They owe Him obedience. Your children will never submit to you without understanding this truth. They will never see living in terms of bringing glory to God. They will be self-absorbed, the prime objects of worship in their own world. Submission to earthly authority is specific application of being a creature under God's authority. Submission to God's authority may seem distant and theoretical. Mom and Dad, however, are present. Obedience to God is reflected in a child's growing understanding of obedience to parents. All right, what's, what's going on here? What's going on in our passage? What, what's Ted Tripp trying to communicate here? Well, well, kids, parents, the first thing that we need to notice is that, that obedience isn't to make a parent's life easy. O- o- obedience isn't necessarily even uh, for the sake of, of the child. Obedience, what, what Paul is writing to the kids and, and what we just read Ted Tripp articulate, obedience, first and foremost, is a worship thing. Obedience to your parents is a form of worshiping God, first and foremost. And if your child doesn't understand this, and kids, if you don't understand this, that it's first and foremost a worship problem, then you will be obeying for other reasons. Notice how Paul says, children, obey your parents in what? In the Lord. It's in the Lord that you're obeying the parents. It's it's for worship of God. Why? Because as Paul says elsewhere, he he says that we are not our own, but we belong to God. Your parents uh, may have uh, created you in that sense, but God ultimately is the one who created you. He's the one who has your day's number. He, He knew your name before your parents picked it out. And so your obedience or your submission and your obeying to your parents is first and foremost a way and a means for you to worship God. And parents, that, that's, that's why your kids obey you. It's because you are helping them to worship God. You're setting parameters for them. So, so kids, you are to obey your parents as a form of worship to God. Now, someone may object, well, what happens if, if my parents are abusing me? What happens if, if, if my parents are asking me to do things that are just wrong? Uh, note, Paul does not say that you should obey your parents to sin. You should, you should never obey your parents if it will cause you to sin. You shouldn't do that. Uh, Paul also says in another place, he, he, he tells us, you are to obey God rather than men. So if your parents are asking you to do something that's leading you into sin, you should not obey that. But you should obey your parents, whether they are believers or not believers, because it is a form of worshiping God. It puts parameters Why? Because this is right. This is what the Lord has asked, and Paul goes on to quote then the fifth commandment. 
honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So, so honor, uh, we may not use the term honor very much anymore, but, but what this means is respect. You, you should respect your parents. You should respect their authority. You should respect what they are asking you to obey. As you obey, you are showing them that you respect them, that, that, that you're looking at them as the authority figure. Because they are your parents. You're honoring them. But why do we do this? Kids, kids why, why obey and respect your parents? Well, because you get a prize. You get a reward. There is a promise here. That it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land. Here it is. This is, this is the promise. This is why as parents and as kids, it's, it's not, uh, let me say it like this. Parents, it's not about you. And, and kids, there's a reward that you get through obeying and honoring. So, so what does that mean for the parents? Parents, what that means for you is that it, there's something bigger than just uh, obedience and honor and uh, quietness. There's a reward. There's a, there's a promise. Uh, some commentators say it like this. It's, it's a, a prosperity and a long life. This is, the, this is the goal. This is, this is the, the goal. This is the prize. This is the reward that you receive. That things will go well and that you will receive a long life. There's, there's motivation behind your obedience and your honoring. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Let's now move towards parents. Paul then switches specifically, and he calls out fathers. And and I just want to point this out. Does this mean that mothers then can provoke their children to anger? Is this what Paul's saying here? So so like like if if Haddon's acting out, and I'm not supposed to provoke him to anger, can I just like lean over to Sharice and say, "Hey, Sharice." Start poking Haddon with a stick to make him really angry. Because, you know, the Bible doesn't say that you can't do it. I just can't do it. Is that, is that what Paul, Paul's saying here? No, this isn't what Paul is, is saying here. In some translations, actually, they even translate this still as parents. I, I, I think that what we can do is we can explain this in two ways. Paul just got done saying husbands are the leaders of the house, right? So if, if husbands are the leaders of the house then they're setting the direction. So if a husband is not to provoke his child to anger, then the husband is calling his wife to also not provoke their child to anger too. I think the other thing that's going on here as well is that Paul, he writes to Timothy and he tells specifically husbands or men, they they need to have control over their house. And so I think we see why he's maybe specifically calling out more fathers, because as we saw last week, it's the husbands that are setting the, the leadership. They're setting the pace in the house. So it's not that wives, or, or it's not that mothers, that, that you get to provoke your children to anger, and fathers can't. 
But why is Paul saying this? Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And for this, we need to understand the first century culture. Because first century culture for fathers was this, this dominating attitude. Um, here, one, one commentator, he, he puts it like this for us. I, I think this is super helpful to, to show us the temperature of what the first century culture was like. I mean, it was not good for kids. It, was not, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a safe place really for kids to, to live. Here's what a commentator um, said about the first century father and child relationship. A, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for law was in his own hands, and he could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his children. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life. As long as the father lived, a Roman son, a Roman child, never came to age. There, there's a, um, I was reading this, this week, and, and one of the things I read too was um, a, a Roman father left for a season, and he wrote to his wife, and, and, and in this letter to his wife, he said, um, uh, basically, I hope that we have a child while I'm gone. And, and if we do have a child, then, then yes, that's great. And if it's a boy, let's keep him. But if it's a girl, then get rid of her. So the, 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 the parent, the, the father, had this extreme authority. And now what Paul is doing is he is calling... The, the first century reader to something that would not have been a popular view. Take your child's feelings, take your child's attitude into consideration. Don't be the one to cause him or her to be angry at you. Or, or as Paul, he writes to the Colossians, he, he says, don't cause your child to become bitter towards you. So here, uh, mom, dad, just as, just as children are to honor you, just as children are to respect you, what you need to do is you need to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I giving my child a reason to honor me? Am I giving my child a reason to respect me? Am I loving them in such a way that, that, that they, they do that naturally because there's no reason why they shouldn't? Or are you living in a way where you're poking your child? You're provoking them. You're, you're belittling them. You're, you're causing them to be angry at you. So we see that Paul's first command towards parents is a negative. Don't do this. Don't, don't provoke your child to anger. Don't provoke them to be bitter towards you. Instead, give them as many reasons as possible to respect you, to, to honor you. I can, I can hear just some of the things in your heads right now. So that means that I'm never supposed to discipline or instruct. Or, I mean, uh, my child, of course, they're not going to like me when I do this. I'm going to make them angry for this. Is, is, that's not what Paul is saying here because he goes on and, and tells the readers, he tells the fathers and, and mothers, he tells them, discipline your child, train them, instruct them. So there's the negative, don't do this, and now here's the positive, do this. 
Train them. Train them in the Lord. Instruct them in the Lord. Look, Mom, Dad, it's great that you bring your child to church. And maybe you did bring your child to church and your children are grown up. It's great that you did do that, but it doesn't stop there. You can't just expect that 300 and some hours through a week and only one to two hours in the week will help them worship God. You can't expect that. You're, you're the ones who are to be the consistent discipline trainers and consistent instructors. You're, through your actions and your training, are to cause your children to see throughout life what it looks like to worship God. Every day, seven days a week, there's no day off. I mean, maybe Sundays. You're to be the primary educator of how to worship God in your child's life. Here, James, James Boyce, he was a pastor in the 20, 20th century. He, he, he helps us with this. He says, The obligation is not merely on the side of the child who must obey, but also on the side of the parent who must enforce the obedience. This is because the parent stands as God in relationship to the child. To teach the child to obey the parent is to teach the child to obey God. To allow the child to defy and disobey the parent is to teach the child to defy and disobey God with all the obvious consequences. Parents, you stand in the gap when your child is in your house. You are giving them parameters and understanding of what it looks like to worship God through obedience, through your instruction and your discipline. But this is, this is tough, isn't it? Because as a parent, it doesn't take very long to see uh, that your child just does, doesn't want to, to listen to you. As a parent, you can see really quickly your child rebel against what you ask. And, and as kids, it doesn't take very long for us to become conscious, conscious that I want to rebel against my parents. Right? So we see the standard that Paul is setting up. We, we see this, this relationship that Paul is setting up for children and their parents, and yet we can't live up to it. You don't have to teach a, t- a child to, to disobey. You, you, you don't. I was, I was talking with a, a, a parent uh, like a, a month ago. And one of the, the things, they, they have, have a, a son who's about two years old. And, and when I was talking with them, they, they said, I just... And, and these parents are the most just quiet, down-to-earth people. And they're like, I, we just... Our child is just this super aggressive kid. We have no idea where this comes from. He's just, he just is aggressive. He will go up to kids and just push them down. It doesn't, doesn't matter who the kid is. We, we have no idea why this happens. He's got sisters in front of him, so it's not like there's a bunch of boys that are teaching him this. His sisters are all pretty older than him. We, just, we have no idea where this is coming from. Well, well it's, it's because his heart is stained with sin. 
You don't have to teach a, a child to lie. You don't have to teach a, a, a child to disobey or rebel. Why? Because, because we are born sinners. We're stained with sin. We, we have a virus in our, our heart from the very beginning. It makes, us, it makes us sick. It makes us desire to rebel against authority. You, you can see this early on in kids. From an early age, a child is more concerned about following their own self-interests, about following what their desires are, about following what their needs are, rather than following and obeying their parents. And it's because of sin. But let's just not look at, at the, 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 the children and say, well, well, children do this because they're sinners. Why do parents have a hard time following Paul's instruction here? to not provoke them, to, to discipline or, or train and instruct them. Well, because parents are stained with sin. Uh, just two, two ways that I notice that, that parents respond to their kids is, is comfort or control. Either a parent doesn't want to discipline or instruct because they would rather maintain their own comfortable. So they, they don't want to confront their child because it makes confrontation makes them uncomfortable. It would be easier just to threaten their child with, with vague disciplines and actually discipline their child or instruct them. So it's, it's easy for the parent, as they're halfway to their trip to Disney World, to tell their kids, if, if you don't knock it off, I'm turning this car around. <laughs> well, yeah, right, Dad. We're in Missouri. We live in Wisconsin. You spend thousands of dollars on this trip. Well, there's, a, there's a comfort level that, that causes parents to say, I, I would rather just be hands-off. My child will figure it out. I don't want to tell them no. But then, on the other hand, there are parents who control their children. They, they helicopter over their children. They, they do everything they can and set up rules, or not even just rules, they, they watch over their child in, in such a way where it's impossible for them to break rules. It's impossible for them to learn obedience. And there are two things that these, there's one thing that, that these two ways of parenting have in common. It's that both of these parents, both of these parenting ways, they avoid, they, they avoid the responsibility that Paul is calling them to. They would rather give in to their own sin. They, they, would, they, would rather re, they would rather give in to their own method. What this, what this is actually showing us as, as parents is this. It's, it's revealing our hearts. What it's revealing is we don't, we, we say that we believe in the gospel. We may, even, we may even pray for our kids' salvation, but, but we don't want to train them or instruct them to worship God. What we're really after, and what our hearts are really revealing to us, is, is what we really want is just our kids to be successful earthly. Well, what we're really saying is, is that we really just want our, our children to be morally good people. What we're really saying is we, well, we, just, we just want our children to contribute to society. 
What we're really saying is it's more important for our children to get good grades rather than to worship the Lord. In our hearts, what, what we're really saying is we, we just, as long as my child can have the successes of this world, then it's really okay that they don't worship God. Why? How? Because, because those both attempts, the, the, the attempt to, to our comfort and, and the attempt to just control, they both show us that we are avoiding instructing and training our kids. What this means is our heart is not believing the all-encompassing gospel. It shows us that we can't actually live up to the fifth commandment. It, it shows us very clearly that we can't do it. I think the child-parent relationship, if you want any, any way to share the gospel or see the gospel in your life, the parent-child relationship shows us it. I mean, think about it. It's, an, it's, it's a child's natural reaction to rebel against their parents. I mean, this is, this is what we're seeing between God the Father and the rest of his creation. Is this, this natural reaction to rebel against his commandments. To, to not obey his commandments, which are actually good for us. Which it, it, it shows us that we deserve his wrath. Because we can't follow the fifth commandment, we deserve God's wrath. We, we deserve his judgment. Every time that we disobey our parents, every time that we did disobey our parents, it's a reminder that we are under God's judgment, under God's wrath. So parents, when we should be teaching our children to worship God, to obey God, and we don't, we're actually discipling them to something else. We're, we're teaching them to obey and honor something else. It's, it's, and that's the idols of your heart. If, if you aren't daily teaching your children and instructing them in the Lord, you're, you're teaching them and training them to worship something. You're either teaching them to, to worship God or to worship an idol that's already in your heart. So that could be good grades. That could be a, a successful life. That could be lots of money. That, that could be uh, the athlete on the team, or, or the star athlete. It could be uh, that career. It could be the moral excellence. You see, this is why it, it's so important that Jesus came for us. Is because as this relationship of parent-child shows us that we just we, we can't obey the fifth commandment perfectly, Jesus did. The Son of God perfectly obeyed God the Father in every single way. Where, where we can't live up to the standard we, and, and we fall short of the glory of God, the Son of God came and He obeyed perfectly. He obeyed in every single way that you couldn't obey. And he obeyed then some. His, his perfect obedience 
led ultimately to his death. Right, so, so if, if we want to see our, our children, or, or if, if, we, if, if what I'm trying to say is that Christian parenting elevates the child's chance for success, then we have to look at Jesus. But if we take a close look at Jesus' life, what do we see? Well, we don't see a very successful person, do we? In the world's terms. Jesus even said, I've got nowhere to lay my head. Jesus was homeless. And, and, and by all means, Jesus didn't live a very long life, did he? Jesus lived to be 33. So, so maybe you're saying, well, Max, how in the world could you say that Christian parenting elevates a child's chance for success? Well, maybe, maybe we need to redefine success as Christians. Maybe our definition of, of success should be trust in God. Why? Because what happens when, when Jesus perfectly obeys? Jesus may have been poor, but what happens when he rises again? He tells his disciples that all authority in heaven and earth are, have been given to me. Jesus owns everything. All, all is his. The, the stars, every star in the sky is his. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. There's no currency that, that possibly outweighs the, the amount of currency that, that Jesus has and the amount of treasures that Jesus has in heaven right now. He owns it all. So, so things did go well with Jesus. And, and not only that, but, but, but Jesus isn't dead right now. So, so Jesus also has a long life. He has eternal life. And so as this parenting-child uh, relationship, it, it points to our sin ultimately and our, our lack and our failure to be able to perfectly obey the commandment. When we look and trust in Christ, what does that do? Things do go well with us. We do get a long life. It's an eternal life. Our treasure and our inheritance is in heaven. So these promises do come forth. Parents, do you want your kids to, to have this? Children, this is what your parents are after. Your salvation, your, your worship of God. And it's through trust in Christ that we receive this. We, we just, we don't deserve this promise. But because of Christ, we can have this promise and we can have so much more. Kids, do you, do you see what's at stake here? Your, your obedience and honor lead to this reward. Parents, do you see what's at stake here? It's this reward. So don't, don't view success as earthly success. Let's view success as heavenly. So let me, I just quickly, because I can see some of you nodding off to sleep. I, I just want to make a few points of application here. Because when, when we experience this heart change, when we experience uh, a, a Christ in this way, kids, Kids, you, you, you look to obey and honor your parents. Okay? So, so here, what this means, if, if your parents ask you to do something, you do it. If your parents are asking you to do your chores, you, you do your chores. If they ask you to clean your room, you, you clean your room. If they're asking you to take out the garbage, take out the garbage. If they're asking you to first do your homework before you do something else, do your homework. Obey them. 
If your parents set boundaries, obey the boundaries and don't just try to sneak off. If, if, they, say, if they say you need to be home at a certain time, then you need to be home at that time. If your parent says you, you get this much screen time, then that's the screen time you get. Don't, don't try, to, try to sneak away to get more screen time. If, if, your, if your mom and dad say you can, you can drive to this place, then drive to that place. You shouldn't make other stops along the way. If, if they say you can't have friends in the car with you, then you need to obey them. Remember, remember the reward for your obedience, that things will go well and that there's a long life. Now, parents, or, uh, sorry, back up. Uh, kids, honor, respect. So, so what that means is, is you shouldn't demand your parents to do something for you. You shouldn't talk in a demeaning way to your parents. You should respect them. You should honor them. You should look for ways to respect them. All right, parents, do everything in your power to cause your children not to be ang angry or become bitter at you. So what does this mean? This, this means that you just don't discipline your children. What this means is that you need to be clear with your, your children. You need to be clear with your desire for them, first and foremost, to worship God. That the boundaries and the rules that you set in your family ultimately are for the purpose for them to reach this goal, to reach this reward, and that's to worship God in spirit and truth. So, so be clear. Parents, be crystal clear as best as you can, with your boundaries and direction for the, for the family. Be clear with the rules that you're setting. Don't just spring up imaginary rules for your kids. Don't just draw the line in the sand and then constantly move it on them. That will cause them to be confused. It will cause them not to know where the boundaries are if you're constantly moving the line in the sand and changing it on them. Obviously, as a child grows up, you change those boundaries, but that's where then you need to communicate again what it looks like. Next, parents, do everything you can to run away from scaring your kids into submission. Don't scare your kids into submission. That's not what the Lord is asking. That's not what Paul is asking you here. You aren't to scare your kids into submission. So, so if, 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 if you're the type of, of, of parent who's, who's quick to anger in situations, Take a step back before you discipline your child. If, if you're the type of parent who's going who's gonna to say, this is my house, it's my rules, like it or leave it, fight that temptation, go for a walk, go to the bathroom, find a, find a, a go for a run, I don't know. But, but run from the temptation to scare your kids into submission. Next, give your children a reason to respect you. Give them a reason to respect you. Okay, train and instruct. You be the primary Bible teachers in your kid's life. Don't just rely on community kids. Don't rely on Christian TV shows. You be the disciplers in your kid's life. You teach your children. Um, that's not me saying to have a... Uh, a a systematic theology class every single night for your kids. 
But that is me saying, you, you know, it's, it's so easy at nighttime to tell your child, look up in the sky. Do you see all of those stars? God put them there. And his Bible says he knows all of their names. And every single star is in the sky because he says so. Next, listen to your child. Just don't talk at them. Listen to their needs. Get to know who they are. Next, parents, be the example of what it looks like to worship God. Be the example. Now, what I don't mean by this, uh, I need to clarify this big time. What I don't mean by this is, is... is that the only thing you ever do is is you just get up in the morning, read and pray, and that's the only example that you're giving your kids. All the while you're belittling your wife or you're cracking jokes at your kids for their expense. That's not what I mean here. Just If you're relying uh, and hoping that just because your kids watch you read the Bible or watch you pray, that's not enough. Set the example in all of life of what it looks like to worship God. All right, last one, then a last remark, and then we're going to have communion. Be the example, parents, of what it looks like to confess and seek forgiveness when you sin against your child. Don't you dare let the devil condemn you or shame you into not going to your child and asking for forgiveness. Don't you dare let the devil trick you into being too prideful to go to your child and say, I'm sorry for overreacting or doing this. Remember what's at stake. Remember the goal. The the goal isn't for your ease in life. The goal is ultimately for this reward, this promise that, that God gives. I want to make a bold statement here. We live in a culture where it's common for kids to leave their house and then fall away, right? That's a very normal thing that's happening, at least in the last century or so. I think what the Bible presents us is something different. I think what the Bible presents us is that if a parent is faithful to the best of their ability to do this, then God's promise will hold true. Now let me make a comment on that. Because there are exceptions. Let me use two characters or two real life people to show this. Because one of the questions might be, well, I wasn't a Christian when I was parenting, so does that mean my child's hopeless? No, of course not. Abraham's parents were pagans. And yet God used Abraham. And, and Abraham's faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. So if you're, 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 you're sitting here saying, I, I missed my chance. No, that's not the case. You have a unique opportunity to go back to your child and say, you know, I'm reading this, I heard this sermon, You know, I missed the ball here, but I'm praying for your salvation and that you would worship God. You know, I'm sorry for all of these ways that maybe I I hindered you from being able to worship God. 
But now it's my deepest desire that you would see that He loves you. And I am sorry. All right. Some of you did the work. Some of you faithfully, to the best of your ability, tried not to provoke your children to anger. Tried to instruct them and, and train them. And yet they're not following the Lord. Earlier in the week, as I was meditating on this passage, I asked Sharice this question. Who were, the, who were the parents, who were the only parents in the Bible that were closest to the Lord that still had kids and still had to parent their kids? And because I said it like that, she was probably super confused like the rest of you. <laughs> Adam and Eve were the only people that actually walked with the Lord. Like, side by side, held his hand, gave him a hug, sat down at his feet. And yet, what happened to their first son? Their first son, Cain, murdered, their, m- murdered his little brother. So why, why, why do I say this? Because this could throw out the whole entire sermon. I say this, hopefully, to encourage you, but to remind you. There are exceptions to this. As the parent, we are called to be faithful to the Word of God, no matter what. And we are to plead with our children. Or plead with God for our children. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you sent our big brother Jesus to live in perfect obedience and submission that we could never live, to be our perfect brother. We ask for your help as we try to obey mom and dad. And I pray for the parents as as they parent their children to the best of their abilities, not provoking them, but instead training them and instructing them in all your ways. Amen.